So, um, we're in lesson number 36, and baptized into what? That's the way you should say that. Baptized into what? Um, we're studying the book of Romans, grace and peace to you. This would be lesson number 36. And we progressed into chapter 6, which is a transition chapter. Several commentaries that I been reading um and in fact one of my favorite authors david martin lloyd jones you know he's english if he's got that many names right <laughs> and um but he's he says that this is almost like a parenthesis that you can actually go from chapter five to chapter eight because the context there in chapter six and seven is a break off to talk about but how do we live in this so that's just one point, but um, chapter 5 was the uh, presentation of the fact that what Christ did was took the place with Adam. And so Christ became the last Adam. And so of all of the, the transition of those who were born from Adam... Jesus ended that in the sense that if we're in him, it's over. Now, if you're not in Christ, none of that changes. You're still in Adam. But for those who believe in Jesus Christ, he becomes the last Adam. The termination of that one designation that said that this, this power of the flesh controls us, dominates us, and that there's nothing we can do about it. Well, that's what Paul wants to move into here with chapter 6. Yes, there is. Christ took place of Adam. So in Adam we all died, but in Christ we're all made alive. And so this is only, again, as we said last week, only for those who believe. If you don't believe, you're still in Adam. Nothing's changed. And we will look a little bit further at that tonight. So... One of the main subjects here as we look down through this, and I highlighted in your, on your notes there in this section, chapter one, Rome, chapter 6, verse 1 through 11, I highlighted in there all the words death, dead, die, and even buried. So let's read Romans chapter 6, verse 1. What shall we say? question we dealt with last week. Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? That's the sarcastic uh, question thrown at him by this supposed opponent. By no means. How? How can we who died to sin still live in it? Basically, Paul said, that's the stupidest question I've ever heard. And let me tell you why. So that's what he's going to do. Verse 3. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ, into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death? Now, if you haven't been baptized into Christ Jesus, then what? You've not been baptized into his death. You're still in Adam's death. All right, baptized into his death. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. In order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk 
in newness of life. Verse 5, 4, If we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. And we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. Some of your translations say destroyed, but we'll talk about that next week, next lesson. Be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. And we know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. There's so many, so many things in this passage. This is just one of Paul's classic passages, paragraphs of just incredible insight that God wrote through him. And, and I say it that way. Is this, this, isn't, this isn't Paul's thoughts. This is God writing through Paul. Peter says, men wrote as they were moved upon by the Holy Spirit. And so Paul says in, in 2 Timothy 3, God, every word of God is breathed of him. So Paul is writing as it's coming to his mind, but it's coming to his mind from who? From God. And so the Spirit of God, Christ, the Father, whoever is giving that inspiration is writing this through Paul for us. Now, I put this little phrase in here, dead man walking, and um, this phrase is often used to refer to people who are on, like, death row. And as they would be walking from their cell to the place of execution, the statement is always made, dead man walking. Because he's still alive, but in reality he's not. Because the execution is as certain as anything. And so, yes, he is on his way. Though he's walking, he's dead. And that, in a sense, is where we are before we're born again. And so, in Paul's talking about all of this, we were, what, enemies of God. We were sinners. We were rebels. We were ungodly. And as he says in Ephesians, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. Look at Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1. Ephesians 2, 1. And you were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, even when we were, and then going on down to verse 5, even when we were dead in our trespasses. So two times in this passage... Paul uses the word, we were dead. He writes in between verses 2 and 5, but then he comes back and he restates this, that, that point. We were dead. But then we were made alive, but that comes later. And then Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. 
Ephesians 4, 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. So here he's talking about people who have never been saved. People have never come and they're dead inwardly but that deadness then uses their mind, their soul and that thinking or the actions or activity of their soul then takes control of the body. And so it is not the body that is the sinner. It's the you who's between the spirit and the body. There is a third person in each one of us, right? There's a spirit, there's the body, but in between is what? The soul. And that's where our decisions come from, our will, our thinking, our intellect, our emotions. And those are the things that draw upon the deadness of an unbeliever's spirit being and then bring those into the flesh and when you got saved what part of you changed your body no. your soul no. what your spirit. your spirit that inner being changed so that now there's still a soul and that soul still has a will it has emotions it has intellect it has drives and passions that can control the body or your spirit can control the body and that's what Paul's going to talk about this you who were dead now just saying that he's not saying everybody we talked about this last week we talked about the we and I'll get to that here again in just a minute but this idea of we we who were dead that's not everyone that's those of us who have put our faith in Jesus Christ those of us who are in Christ is the we that Paul is going to be talking about so looking at this passage look at these words dead, death, died, dead 15 times in this passage these words occur 15 times what do you think Paul's emphasis here in this passage is you were what dead Dead. (laughs) yeah dead that's that's the point we this there here's what I say we were dead we died and now we are dead what so okay wait a minute say that again we were dead we died and now we are dead uh, okay, wait a minute. Then why, why, what, what changed? Who the deadness is. All right, so come back and do that. We were dead. You were dead what? In your trespasses and sin. In your inability to do anything about your life. In the Adamic nature that was in you. You were dead. But then you died. Where did you die? Physically? Uh, no, because you're sitting here in the room. 
And so, yeah, you are you're still alive. We died. Where did we die? In Christ. Well, I was already dead. No. I moved my deadness from me to Jesus, to Christ, the Messiah. So it's not me dead in Adam anymore. It's me dead in Christ. And now that I am dead in Christ, I'm dead to what? Sin, my old nature. So I am dead. So it's this amazing (laughs) conglomeration of things that uh, I call this a masterpiece of writing. And yes, it is. And you have to read it and you read it again and you read it another time. And then you set it down and you come back and you read it again. And you read it another translation and then you read it again. And over a period of time, you start to get a grasp on it. And I will study this next year, probably next week, and say, ooh, there's something I missed. Uh, the first thing I want you to notice, bottom of your page, death is not cessation. Death is not annihilation. The biblical idea of death, and we've said this before, the biblical idea of death is separation. Separation. When Adam died, he didn't cease to exist. He was not annihilated. But something changed. He was what? Separated from God because the inner man, the spirit, died. And so his spirit man died and therefore meant it was separated from God. Therefore it was totally under the control of his soul and flesh. So the enemy, this fallen world, uses our senses to influence our soul to pull us into things that are meaningless, harmful, even physically deadly, deadly to our families, deadly to our finances, deadly to other people. Cain, the first one to manifest, I'm going to just say it this way, the first recorded one to manifest that rebellion that was in his inner man, God tried to stop him. God came down and spoke to him, implored him, but it wasn't enough. And so Cain followed his passion, and the passion controlled his body, and in his body, he slew his brother. Adam. In Adam, we were separated from God because we were all in Adam. That's what Paul has argued in chapter 5. We were all in Adam. And because of this being identified with Adam, we needed a new identity. Through our identity with Christ, which comes how? How do we identify with Christ? Through faith. We believe. It results in born again. It results in justification, reconciliation salvation, redemption, all those things that take place. But we identify with Christ through faith. We believe. And once we believe in Jesus Christ, we are separated from Adam. 
We were in Adam. Now we believed. And we are now separated from Adam. We were separated from God. Now we are in union with God and separated from Adam. And so this is where what follows begins to take place. So through identity with Christ, we're separated from Adam. Through resurrection with Christ, we're separated from a body of sin. The power of that old man is gone. And it's gone because it's dead, and Paul is going to use the word buried. It's not just dead. Paul specifically puts the word buried in here. So, as Paul is talking about this, he's, he's not really talking about water baptism in any of this. Water baptism is a, a wonderful picture, and it's something that the early church began to do, and they, they did. In fact, they did it in the Jewish church. They did it as a way of identification, of, of separating yourself from something that was former, identifying, becoming part of something new. But that's not what he's... He's not talking about water. He's talking about you actually dying and being buried. And he's going to make a great point about that, as we'll see here in just a bit. Then I want to remind us of the we's that we studied last week. And these were some of the, some of the points in our study uh, toward the end of our, our class. The we of Romans chapter 6. As I said, it's a little bit Greeky, but in Greek, just like in Italian or French or Spanish... Your pronouns are attached to the verb. And so whatever the verb says, whether it's masculine, singular, he, whatever, whatever it says, that's, that's part of the verb. However, if someone wouldn't make a something specific and make it exceptional, make a great point of it, they would also put a pronoun, we, in the verse. And that's what Paul has done all the way through this passage. We. Not just attached to the verb, but a specific we. Meaning someone who is separate and distinct. So he's talking about a distinct group. We. We who we were before we were in Christ. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. We, before we were in Christ... As a separate and distinct group, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. Now, those who have not believed in Jesus Christ are what? They're still dead in their trespasses and sins. But he's not talking to them. He's talking to us. He's talking to those of us who are believers. And as believers, we need to realize we were dead in our trespasses and sins. Now, the second condition of of we here is we as distinct from those who are not in Christ. We as opposed to them. But we died with Christ. They didn't. We did. Not everybody died with Christ. Christ died. And everybody's dead. But not everybody believed in Jesus Christ and therefore not everyone is in Christ. We who believe in Jesus Christ, are in him. We died with him. I was dead, and then I died with him. It's like, what? 
we'll get more to that here in a minute. And then there's the we who are now set free. We who are now risen with Christ. That we might walk in the newness of life. We died. We were with him. He raised from the dead. And now we have been raised with him to walk in newness of life. Not everybody's been raised to walk in newness of life. But we who believed have been. We identified with him. We died with him. We're raised with him. We are a distinct, separate group. And Paul emphasizes that down through this passage. And as we read through, we'll see each one of these in the verses all the way down through the end of this chapter. All right, so last week we talked about this opening question. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? That's not Paul's question. That's this sarcastic, condemning, ridiculing statement that's been made by possibly made by someone in Rome, but certainly the attitude of a number of the, quote, legalistic Jewish believers. And those who have tied themselves to this legalism is like, so what you're saying, as I talked about this last week, so what you're saying is the more we sin, the more glory get God gets, right? Well, then let's all go out and sin and give God more glory. That makes sense, right? No. To who? I mean, really, to who does that make any sense? It doesn't make sense to me. Even if, if I try to erase what Paul is saying from all of this. That God gets glory the more we sin? Where, where could you even come up with that kind of thing? And Paul is so incensed, all he can do is rebuke this person. God forbid. What are you saying? Did you even think this through? No. Words came out of your mouth before you thought. Now, I know that's never happened to any of us. But, but in a, you, need to, you need to evaluate these words before you even say them. Because what you said is just really stupid. Now, in a typical debate format, your opponent says something and you take what they say and you come back with it and you may accept or honor some of the things that they say and you say, yes, but here's this and they'll say, yes, but here's this. Paul doesn't give this guy a chance. He's not even going to debate with this person. He's just going to write them off. There's no use in me even trying to address you, but let me address the real issue. The real issue is, if you're dead, how can you live in sin? You're dead. So you can't, you can't be dead and live in sin. So, we died. Well, I know, but you already said we were dead in Christ. Yeah, but this is another dying. And that's what he's going to talk about. What does it mean that we died in Christ? Now, all of this takes the justification that Paul's been talking about since chapter 1. The just shall live by faith. Or we are made righteous by faith. And he's going to take that justification, which then he brought over to reconciliation in the first part of chapter 5. And now he's brought over to our full redemption. But now he's going to talk about justification. But this justification results in something else. The fact that we have been justified through Jesus' death and resurrection, the fact that we have been reconciled to God, 
through identity with Christ, that changes who we are. We didn't just do that and then just go on with our life like nothing changed. No. It changes who we are. It changes how we live. It changes how we talk. It changes our purpose, our, de- our desires, our, our plans for our life. It changes. That's called sanctification or being made holy. So sanctification is a result of justification. It's not the way to it, which some branches of Christianity have gotten backwards, that you become holy and then you attain some kind of justification, that you show that you have no more sin and therefore then you are acceptable to God. And if you get rid of all this stuff in your life, then God will accept you, but he's not accepted you until you show that you've gotten all the sin out. I'm without hope. Don't know where you're at, but I'm without hope because that sure hadn't happened for me. And that didn't happen for Paul. No, we're justified first. And then because of what he's going to say in this passage, he's going to set up my lesson for next week. Paul's doing a good job for me. He's going to set up my lesson for me. And because of that, I got a new life. I'm, I'm a different person. I'm not living out of Adam. I'm living out of Christ. And so things change. All right? How can we live in it? So he's going to come down here in verses uh, 3 through 14. Chapter 6, verses 3 through 14. He presents three different things. We'll talk about the first one tonight. Partly. And this is the biggest one. Understanding the nature of our identification with Christ. Understanding the nature of our identification. So tonight it's going to be identifying with his death. Then next week we're going to talk about identifying with his life. So, understanding the nature of our identification with Christ. And that occupies verses 2 through 10, actually verse 3 through 10. And then the second part of this is one verse, verse 11, by accepting our identification with Christ as being true. And we'll talk about that powerful, powerful verse, one of the most powerful verses that Paul writes in all of the New Testament. And then finally, in Romans 6, verses 12 to 13, he talks about what it means to yield to Christ with whom we have been identified. So there is a a way of living the life that he's given us. So in this first section, understanding the nature of identification with Christ, death. Being dead. Identifying with his death. And understanding our death. And so in these things we come to this great passage. If any of you spend any time reading New Testament, or you've been in a number of the, quote, word faith circles, Uh, you've been under good, solid teachings. In fact, some of the most um, solid teaching on in him comes from a man from Moody Bible Institute, 
back in the early years, a man named Kenneth Wiest, and one of the greatest writers on what that is. Andrew Murray is another incredible writer on what it means to be in Christ. So also, the book I showed you last week, The Normal Christian Life, which is the Abnormal Christian Life by Watchman Dean. And again, if you don't have this book, get it and read it. It's short. So you can read it through once and then say, okay, I need to read this again. All right, I need to read it again. But it's, it's an excellent book. So, Normal Christian Life by Watchman Nee. And in, in these things, we're brought to the reality of what it means to be in him. And so there's numerous verses. I went through in my, in my Logos Bible software, I had it searched for all the in him, in whom, through him, by him, um, in whose, all these things. It brought up all these incredible number of passages throughout the entire New Testament. Um, all these things with him, through him, through whom, and all the different ways that that phrase can be expressed. It's incredible. And if most believers even knew part of those, it would change the way they think about who they are. Because it's not about me. Amen. Oh, well, it's not talking about me. I don't want to read it. I mean, that's where we're at. It's not about me. I don't want to hear it. Yeah. No, this is not about you. But it is about you. Because you're in him. And you need to know what it says. So... Doom search. Maybe I'll, um, I think I've got that in a printed format somewhere. Maybe I can find that in my files. I've only got a few files. Yeah. Let me see if I can find that by next week. I'll make it for you. Save you. I know you were all going to go do it. All of you were, right? You were going to spend hours searching through your Bible. I'll see if I can do it for you. Okay. So. In, in this section, verses 3 through 11, but we're only going to look at a portion of it. In this section, four words to just keep coming up. Four words that are essential to our understanding of what Paul is talking about. Understanding our identity with Christ, his death. All right, so that's the subject. The first word is baptism then death, then burial, then resurrection. So let's look at this, baptism. What, what do we mean by baptism? Well, the first thing when we talk about baptism, we've got to understand that Paul is not here speaking about water baptism, but water baptism gives us a picture in some ways of what this is. Well, Paul starts off with a little phrase at the beginning of verse 3, do you not know? Now, we talked about that before. What does that mean? Do you not know? It means what? You should know, but I don't think you do know. You should know this, but I don't, I'm not sure you do. And maybe you don't know it at all. But you should. Now, this is, this is Paul's first letter to the Romans. He's never been to Rome to teach these people. Why is he saying, do you not know? Because, again, 
going back to one of our earliest lessons in our book of Romans, which was sometime in the last 10 years. But um, in chapter 16, there's this long list of people that Paul knows. And they've come from places where Paul has been. Some of there came when Paul's first journey into Greece, which was his second missionary journey. Some have come from his third missionary, which is where he spent so much time in Ephesus. People that he knows that are now there. There may even be some people who are there in Rome who he's known since his first missionary journey. And maybe all the way back to Jerusalem because one of the people that's in Rome is a young man named Rufus who is the son of Simeon who carried Jesus' cross. That's pretty impressive. So when Paul says, do you not know, he's not saying, none of you have heard this before. There are people there who have known some of these things that Paul has taught. He spent three years in the city of Ephesus before he wrote this letter. Now, he hasn't written the letter to the Ephesians yet, but he spent three years in Ephesus raising up churches throughout what we know of as Asia. And all the seven churches that we can find in the book of Revelation were started during Paul's years in Ephesus. In fact, one of the things it says concerning Paul's time there, Acts chapter 19, so that all those in Asia heard the word and that the gospel prevailed in the city of Ephesus. Prevailed means it took the lead. I mean, there were more people saved in Ephesus than there were unsaved. That's incredible. And so Paul's been there and people coming through there, traveling there, having been there, ministered with him. Maybe some of them were his students that he taught at the school of Tyrannus there in, in Ephesus. They've gone on to Rome. And they've carried the messages that they heard from Paul. Some of the messages may have come from people that Paul taught in Thessalonica. Some from his time in Corinth. He's been in Corinth at least four times during this period of time, and he's writing this letter from Corinth right now. So there's people in Rome that he has known, and they've carried this message. Do you not know? In other words, this message has come to you. This, this is not the first time you've heard in Christ. It's not the first time that you've heard that you died with Christ. It's not the first time. There may be people in Rome who are hearing this for the first time, but there's a significant group that Paul is speaking to who know these things that Paul has said. They're just not thinking about them, or they're not drawing from it at the moment. Paul is very, this is, this is a very strong phrase. It's not, oh, don't you know? It's not one of those, don't you say, do you not know? It's that rhetorical question that says, yes, you do, but you're not thinking about it, or you've forgotten it. It's like your mom, where have you been? She knows. And if she doesn't know, whatever I tell her she knows is a lie. So, like, just go ahead, own up to it, you may as well, mom knows. Do you not know? And so Paul has 
ministered this. So here's what you don't, here's the way he says, you should know, but you're not thinking about it. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized, who's the us? Who's the us? The we, right? So this is just the plural of we. All of we, those who are in Christ, we were dead, then we died, now we're in Christ. Do you not know that we who have been baptized into Christ Jesus, not baptized in water, that's nice, but that's not the subject. <coughs> have you been baptized? Okay, it's good to be baptized. I've been baptized four times. If baptism saves, I'm good. <laughs> but that's not the point. It's baptized what? Not in Christ. In what? Or not in water, in, in Christ. So I answered my own question. Thank you very much. You're baptized into, not just in Christ, into Christ. So this is, this is not a, this a casual use of a, of a word. It's not you're baptized in Christ. You've been baptized into him. You've been put in him. It's not like Christ was there like a tub of water and you got baptized in him. No. You've been baptized into him. So that you are now where? You are now in him. Baptized into Christ. We're baptized what? Into his death. Jesus died on the cross. Thousands of years before I was born. Almost 2,000 years before I was born. And yet, when I believed in Jesus Christ, I died with him. He's already dead. Well, no, he wasn't dead. He was raised up. Jesus wasn't in the grave when I got born again. Was he? Yes and no. He's raised up in heaven, but he's also dead so that I could join him in death. Because with God, there's no time. So his death is just as real as his resurrection. I was baptized into his death. Now, baptism in the early church was only by immersion. That's all they knew. And, and so I'm not here to put down people who were sprinkled. My first baptism was a sprinkling. Um, then I was immersed three different times because each of the other churches didn't believe in the other church's baptism. So <laughs> whatever. You want me washed? I took a bath this morning anyway. Does, does that count? But, no, because I always take a shower. So it's like... <laughs> But in the Greek language, there's two words for baptize. And they both kind of mean the same thing, but there's a significant difference. The first is the word bapto. And you'll see that at the bottom of your page. One word is bapto, which means to dip or immerse. Bapto. The other word is baptizo, from which the English writers in the King James 
transliterated into our word baptism. So instead of translating it as immersed, they transliterated it, made an English word out of a Greek word, baptized. So baptizo, they just made an English word from it. So uh, one of the reasons, and many suppose, is because King James, who had authorized them to write this Bible, translate this Bible, publish it, had been sprinkled in the Church of England. And in those days, they believed if you hadn't been baptized, you weren't saved. And so if they said sprinkling doesn't count, then that meant the king wasn't saved, which meant they were going to die. Simple as that. So, yeah, they would have been executed. But, so, but we don't know that. But for some reason, they decided to make an English word, baptized. And in doing that, we lost something. So when it says baptized into Christ, we kind of lose the image. But if it says immersed. Now, what's the significance of these two? Both words can be translated immerse. Bapto and baptizo. So both have that meaning. But the longer word, baptizo, says some things that the shorter word doesn't. The shorter word just means immerse. But baptizo can be used metaphorically. It says more than just bapto. It has more to do with being immersed so as to be changed. To be immersed so as to be changed. And so I put this little illustration down there. Um, you take an animal skin and you immerse it in oil, it is changed. It's not the same. You didn't just dip it, you immerse it. You rub the oils on it, the lanolins, whatever, and you, you soften the skin of the animal, right? A cloth. You immerse the cloth in dye and it's changed, right? So, baptizo has to do with being immersed so as to affect a change. So as to make a change in the object that is being baptized. And what it does is it takes on the identity of what has been baptized in. So you take a cloth, white cloth, dip it in blue dye, and it takes on the identity of the blue. Here's a little illustration, and I, I hope this helps. Got this out of one of the commentaries. Nicander. Uh, Nicander was a Greek philosopher, teacher, poet around the year 200 B.C. He says that to make a pickle, how many make pickles? Anybody in here take cucumbers, make pickles? God bless you. Uh, I like the little pickles, the gherkins. I do not like dills. I don't like big pickles. It's like, okay, whatever. <laughs> Jeff, Mr. Perkuyer. All right, so he says to make a pickle, the vegetable should first be dipped into boiling water, bapto. So first you dip it in the boiling water, bapto. But then you baptizo, baptize it in vinegar so that then the pickle is 
changed. It's transformed. It's, there's a difference to it. It's no longer what it was. There's a significant difference between immersing it in the water, babto, and immersing it in the vinegar, where it takes on a different character because it is now identified with something else. All right? It produces a permanent change, and you cannot undo it. Thank you, there's, there's a message in there, folks, of our security in Christ. You can't undo it once it's been done. You've been baptized into Jesus' death, and he's raised from the dead. You, you can't go back and undo that. There's no way you can undo being baptized into Christ. But I'll move on. We'll talk more about security later on. So with this word baptized, baptized into Christ Jesus. So what, what this baptism is is something that precedes Jesus' resurrection. You were baptized into his death. Not, you're, not into, you're not baptized into faith. You're not baptized into the Christian church. You're not baptized into salvation. You're baptized into his death. So much so, that is Paul's going to say, you're going to be buried with him. Now, this is not water baptism, which is just a picture. This is baptizo, taking on the identity of something. I was identified with who? Adam. Adam. But now I've been baptized into Christ. And I've taken on a different identity. The first identity I took on was what? Begins with D, ends with T-H. Death. Great. So the first identity you took on when you were baptized into Christ is you took on his death. But I was already dead. No, you were dead in Adam. For you had no choice. But now by your volition, you placed your faith in Jesus Christ and you are now baptized into his death. And that death is the death of the Adamic nature so that you can have a new nature. But your first is you're baptized into his death. Before we are identified with his death, we had to be identified with Adam's death. We had to recognize, I'm dead in Christ. Now, maybe you didn't know that is that phrase when you got saved but you were recognizing it I'm a sinner you know however it was ministered to you you realized there's something wrong with me and I need I need something I I can't fix myself I can't help myself there's some drive some power on the inside of me that it's just it's just wicked and I can't do anything about it You didn't know that as the Adamic nature. Or maybe you had a good Bible teacher and you did realize that. But somehow along the way, you figured that out. I once was lost. I was blind. I need something new. So before you were identified with his death, you had to be identified in Adam's death. You had to know, I am dead. 
I'm dead inwardly. I somehow came to the end of that within myself, and I realized, man, I am, I'm a mess. I need something else. Second Corinthians chapter five. These verses, all of you know these. I'm not going to try to. I'm going to do my best not to spend a lot of time. I can't. I don't have a lot of time. Second Corinthians chapter five, twenty-one. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God made him to be sin. The one that knew no sin. So that in him we might become righteous. We had to recognize we needed something. Romans chapter 8 verses 3 and 4 says, For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for the purpose of a sin offering, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the spirit. We made a transition. In Christ, I couldn't do anything and the law couldn't help me. But I entered into him. 1 Peter 3.18 says, For Christ also suffered once for sin, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh and made alive in the Spirit. He was put to death in the flesh, and I identified with that death. Hebrews 2.14 says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of those things, that through death, I just get overwhelmed with this word. That through death, he might destroy the one who has the power of death. That word destroy doesn't mean annihilate. It's the same word we're going to encounter next week in our class. It means render useless. Render useless. Jesus has rendered useless the devil. The next time he's shouting in your ear, whispering at you, growling in your face, throwing insults at you, tell him, devil, you're useless. That's what the scripture says. That he might destroy the one who had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to slavery. I could preach a week on that verse, but I can't. Verse 5, chapter 5, verse 19, a couple weeks ago. For as by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners in Adam, so by one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. If they what? If they believe. If they believe. So we're baptized into his death. Baptized into I was thinking of this passage, this little phrase I got it highlighted there in yellow. You are not who you were, for who you were is dead. I'm not who I was. I know. I've said this before. I could go back to my little hometown and find some of my friends that used to hang out with me when I was in high school. And they know all things about me that I hope you never find out. But 
You know what? I'm not that person. I'm not who I was. Because who I was is dead. That's why we say this is not water. We're not talking about water. We're talking about identity with Christ. In his death so that a permanent change, just like that cloth that's been placed in the dye, a permanent change. It takes place, and it starts in here. Now, I'm still... And I believe, like you, working out my salvation. That doesn't mean I'm trying to figure it out. I'm doing everything I can to bring the salvation that's in me to the outside. So more people see it, more people hear it, more people realize it. And I hope I work on that all the way to the end of my death. Miss Bernice, our dear sister Bernice, is very close to uh, (laughs) making her transition to Jesus. And one of the things she said to Pastor Jeff, she says, I hope I've done enough. You know, I know that the stupid devil throws that kind of junk. She knows more about Jesus than I'll ever realize. (laughs) She's seen more of God. She's 95 years old, served God, loved God all of her life. And yet that stupid thought the devil throws at us, I hope I've done enough. I hate the devil. Devil, you are useless. You got nothing. Romans 6, 4 then goes on and says, We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. In order that. Just as. In order that. In order that. Right, So we were buried in order that. In other words, what's going to follow in order that couldn't be if what was before it didn't take place. You get that? That's that little phrase. In order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. We were buried by baptism into what? Into his death. So now we we know this is not water. We're talking about death. But I want you to to notice this identity, this change is so real that Paul says we were buried with him. It's not just that we identified with his death. We were what? Buried. Buried with him. And Paul uses this burial to enforce the completeness of our identity. A body may be dead, but still present. I don't want to be graphic or gross or whatever, but that can be true. The dead person's still there. Until they're what? They're buried. (laughs) Until they're not. But notice here that we're buried into his death. Burial in this context takes place before death we're buried into his death you have to be willing to join Jesus in the grave 
You've got to be willing to go into the grave with him. That's your salvation. That's me recognizing I can't help myself. I'm dead, but I need to die. And so we enter into the grave with Christ to join him in his death. Isn't that beautiful? Just the, the, the analogy, the way Paul writes this, and I know Jesus gave it to him, you know, but man, I wonder what kind of hallelujah fit Paul had as he wrote that verse. And I'm just writing along and he said, I just got to stop and I got to get out my hanky and, you know, have a Pentecostal celebration right here in the And so a body that is dead but still present still says it's here. But once it's buried, it's no longer here. It's gone. Burial removes it from view, and not only that, it establishes its permanence. It's buried. It's gone. It's dead. And so this is what Paul is trying to enforce This is a permanent issue. It's not a temporary thing. It's not just, well, maybe we can revive it. Maybe we can resuscitate it. Maybe it'll come back to life. No, it's buried. Buried. Gone. That pickle cannot be unpickled. So here's the point. We're not only dead... Our former Adamic nature is what? Buried. Buried. It's gone. I don't have an Adamic nature any longer. I did. I'm not proud of it. But but it's there. But it drove me to need something else. It drove me to say, I'm a dead man walking. And I need someone to get me out of this and the only way to get out was to bury myself enter the grave into Christ so that what as God raised him up I'm raised up Ephesians chapter 2 even when we were dead in our trespasses we were made alive together with Christ. When God made him alive, he made you alive. Amen. We were made alive together. I, I talk about this as being the greatest jump start any battery ever, you know, performed. God made him alive, and when he came alive, it jump-started everyone who believes in Jesus Christ. He was made alive. And the Greek word used there means suddenly. He wasn't alive, and then suddenly he was. To the glory of the Father. And then it's not just that he was made alive. He was raised up. And then he wasn't just raised up. He ascended and was seated. Hallelujah. And we're in him. I'm in no grave. The old man is. But this one is not. The rest of verse 4, Paul just goes on to enforce this. 
why why is this in order that in order that what's going to follow has to tie to this if you will not join him in the grave if you will not identify with the deadness of Adam join Christ in the grave enter into his death you will never walk in the newness of life you can't but if you do you will and so in order that just as in the same way to the same degree in the same manner in likeness as Christ was raised from the dead to the glory of the Father now Paul could restate that as Christ was raised to the glory of the Father so what? we were raised to the glory of the Father can we say that? but Paul wants to add something new and throws a new twist in here just as Christ was raised to the glory of the Father so also we too might walk in newness of life is Christ walking in newness of life? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Can we walk in newness of life? Uh, yes. yes. Why? Because he did. But one last phrase, one last word. Might walk. Might walk. And the word might walk is conditional, which means if you won't do what came before this, you can't have this. Amen. People who do not believe. People who will not identify with Adam. People who are not dead with Christ. Cannot have this resurrection and cannot walk in newness of life. You can't. But if you have, you will. Praise God. Father, we thank you for your word tonight. I thank you, Lord, that we have been made alive in you. Father, the, the complexity and the, the, the depth, the dimensions of all of this, it almost overwhelms our mind. There's so much in here, Father, that you want us to see and teach us. And, and thank you that your word is so complex that the more we look at it, the more we learn. The more we realize, the more we can live. Thank you, Father God, for this, this letter to tell us what happened. This all would be true if we didn't have a letter. But you wrote it to us so that we can know. And we can help other people to know. So we thank you, Father God, for your work accomplished through us to your glory. And we thank you for that, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.